The Leadership File on Premiere. Welcome to the Leadership File, the show that aims to help change the way you lead. I'm Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Martin Thomas, founder and director of Making Sense. Martin has been working in the charity sector for over 20 years in a variety of trustee and staff roles, including uh, CMS, Church Missionary Society, uh, World Vision UK, and most recently Viva, an international children's charity. Making Sense helps charities, business groups, and community groups in a variety of ways. And Martin has recently become a published author of picture books for children entitled My Dad Will Do and My Mum Is There. So welcome, Martin, to Leadership Farm. Thank you, Andy. Good to be with you. So, uh, and when you left school, could you have imagined that one day you would be a leader in the way that you are? I was reflecting on this and I was not sure really I knew what a leader looked like. <laughs> okay. Um, I grew up in uh, North London um, in, the, in the 70s and 80s. Um, and I think from a head perspective, the answer would definitely be no. Um, I didn't think or realise that I actually had a brain until I left school and, and went to college. Uh, but maybe from a heart perspective, um, maybe the answer could be yes. Okay. Um, that the, the opportunities, uh, particularly um, in music, um, that I was given um, as, a, as, a, as a young person led me to um, be a little bit of a leader in, in a number of ways during uh, uh, my formative years. Mm. Uh, and so I think there was a, a, a bit of a disconnect between the head and the heart, which mm. later on came together. Yeah. So, so you graduated from college, your first job, and how your career progressed at that point? Yes, as I said, I wasn't very academic and ended up in a, in a small college in, in Worcester. Um, and I had a real passion for people and place. And so that led to a, a, a degree in human geography um, and, and led to a real desire for connecting uh, with the world. Um, and actually the movements of, uh, of people around the world. I've always been interested in migration and what causes people uh, to move, uh, the push and the pull factors, uh, as we always used to study. Uh, and so that desire to study human geography also led for me to, to understand uh, what, what God is doing in the world um, with the movements of people uh, and different cultures. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I mentioned a, a, a bit of a list of, of the who's who of the charity, <laughs> well, a little bit of a list anyway, uh, CMS, World Vision UK, Viva. Mm. Uh, I mean, sort of standout moments as you look back? Uh, standout moments would be, I mean, going right back to the beginning um, after college of actually moving uh, to Brussels uh, and spending time uh, with IFES working uh, with both student movements in, in Brussels, but also people from all around the world. That was my first taste of, of maybe as a young leader, um, being responsible for pastors for, from Burundi and Rwanda who wanted to learn how to, to speak English, and they were based in Brussels as refugees. Wow. Um, so a, a real responsible position as someone in their only early 20s, but it mm. opened my eyes to some of the big issues um, of, of the world. Mm. Um, which were now on our doorstep in, in, in Europe. Uh, and for me, reflecting back on my, uh, my leadership experience, those were, were years that I really grew to understand uh, what was my offering to people in those situations. Mm. Um, who was I? I was only a, 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 someone in their early 20s, and yet I was put into positions of responsibility, walking alongside people much older, much more experienced, but who needed me at that point. Uh, mm. I learned a lot from that. Uh, and were the challenges connected to some of the, the pain that you saw? I think the challenge was very much connected to, for example, displaced pastors who were away from their families, uh, their congregations, 
um, who didn't quite understand why they were now in a different country, um, which again we're seeing in, in our context at the moment uh, with people movements uh, from Syria and other parts of the world. So I, I very much uh, connected, even though I didn't understand at that point um, as much as I do now maybe about why why the people moved and, and where that pain came from. Yeah, yeah. I think the, uh, the other standout moments um, were, were many years later when um, I was, uh, for example, with, uh, with CMS. Um, as quite a young leader in my, my mid-twenties, I was given the opportunity to manage uh, CMS's work uh, in the UK, Western Europe and even Eastern Europe. Uh, and at one particular point, I was responsible for people probably from all over the world in, in all these contexts. There were movements of people from Africa and Asia and Latin America doing mission work in the UK and other parts of Europe. Uh, and so my team was uh, diverse. It was cross-cultural. Um, I had people from um, Pentecostal, Baptist, Protestant, Orthodox, Catholic backgrounds all working together um, in different communities across Europe. And one of my big leadership kind of learning times there was how to manage cross-cultural teams um, in often um, different contexts, different contexts across Europe. And um, that was a, a steep learning curve, definitely. Precious. Did you did you find you learned more most from people from talking with them, or from books at that in that sort of setting? Probably ninety percent uh, from people. Okay. Uh, maybe ten, maybe even five percent. <laughs> okay. From, from books. Um, yeah. I had discovered that I had a bit of a brain at university, but I've always recognize that actually it's only um, as you're doing that you're learning sure. um, and that maybe that can be backed up a little bit uh, mm. by that extra reading um, cms was a great source of knowledge and wisdom and experience um, from a couple of centuries of mm. kind of thinking about mission um, and the movements of people in mission um, not just across europe but across mm. the world uh, and so I, I gained a lot of experience from pr pretty wise people who have mm. phds mm. and um, often piggybacked on on the back of what they had said but then actually looking at that how did that work out in practice how to do mission in in birmingham or how or in uh, in malaga in spain or in eastern europe actually looking at um, the context looking at the people um, what they've been called to do uh, and a lot of my role at that point was was not managing and this is sometimes i think the difference between the leadership and actually managing something i wasn't telling people what to do but i was coming alongside um, helping them understand the context that they had been called by God into um, and resourcing them, equipping them, um, helping them um, walk through that journey themselves. Well, I, I mentioned in the introduction that, uh, that making sense uh, helps charities in a number of ways. What, what kind of things do charities ask you to do for them? Um, a, a lots, of, lots of different things from the really specific uh, to the quite general and broad. Okay. Uh, so um, often I've had uh, an email or a call uh, Martin, we need help with a new website, um, or Martin, we need help writing a, uh, a funding application for a particular um, uh, funding bid that they're doing. Um, and what often happens is I'll, I'll come in and sit down and we'll, we'll look at that particular piece of work that needs doing and we'll, we'll start working on that. Um, but then other questions start um, kind of coming to the surface, uh, particularly about the identity uh, of that particular charity. Um, and the impact they, they are delivering, whether that be in the UK or overseas. Uh, and I think one of my uh, the strengths and the, of the experience of over 20 years in working with international and UK-based charities is helping charities understand their identity uh, and their, the impact that they're delivering and then weaving that through um, every product or, um, or communications or their operations that they have. Um, often charities sometimes are 
rather confused about their identity mm. or the impact they're delivering. Um, and so a new website might look very nice, but it might not be communicating mm. the message that they really want to communicate. And so what often happens is that we take a little bit of a step back and say, let's review some of those areas um, in order to really um, make sense. Right. Do you think, is, is, is that because the challenges have changed over time with the charity? Or is it is it that there there's a DNA in a charity that, 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 mm. that the people that speak to you don't quite get? I'm just, because listeners might think, hang on, it ought to be obvious what a because a charity will have its charitable aims in a yes. somewhere and therefore why why is there an identity issue at all but, but so I'm interested in just teasing that out a little bit well charities often run a, a huge amount on passion and mm. particularly um, the small and medium-sized charities and um, that they're often founder-led and they're movement-led and the mm. membership and the supporters have been alongside for for many years um, but often there comes a time when the charity needs to maybe recrystallize uh, what it's about. Maybe the context has now changed mm. in which they're operating. And actually what they, they used to be doing now actually doesn't make sense in the same way. Mm. And so they often need to ask themselves the questions, do we now uh, need to exist? Um, mm. Or do, do we need to change the um, our vision or our mission? Or do we need to think a little bit more about what is our impact? What are mm. we delivering? Um, Particularly, um, the area of Im impact has um, been a big issue over the last uh, last year, as people have been asking the question for, about fundraising. Uh, mm. What are you fundraising for? How much is going to uh, what is called overhead or administration? How much is actually going to the beneficiary? Are we able to report on that impact? Yes. Um, and the Charity Commission, um, rightly so, has had to tighten up in the whole areas of fundraising and operations, mm. but also in the question of impact. Um, I think it's also meant. Uh, sometimes that people have expected charities to almost have no, no money going into administration because I think actually it, it should all be delivering impact. And so I think charities have had to learn how to better communicate mm. how they're structured, mm. uh, what is their vision, but also how they're delivering their, mm. Im, their impact both overseas and, and across mm. the UK. Uh, and give us some idea of the range of size of in terms of personnel. Oh, I mean, charities can be what I call the one man and his dog charity yep, yep. to uh, the, the World Visions that, I, that I've worked for. And I think um, my particular area in making sense has been to come alongside those charities that are both the small to the medium size. Okay. Um, some of the larger charities will have those specialist roles mm. and experience uh, that can help them work through processes. But I'm often working with charities where they don't have a director of communications okay. and the chief exec is having to do all of that. Mm. Um, and that's where particularly the experience I've had over the last decade of, of helping um, lead charities in those areas can add value, mm. not just in the funding uh, plan, uh, not mm. just in the, the new website, but adding value to a number of areas. Mm. Um, and particularly as a leader, to lead in those areas of, of operations, uh, but mm. also a leader to lead um, with team mentoring and coming alongside an organisation as someone mm. that can um, help add value in a, in a number of, of different ways. Sure, sure. We're well, listening to Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by uh, Martin Thomas. Uh, Martin is the founder and director of Making Sense, and we'll be back just after this. Welcome back to Leadership Farm with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Martin Thomas. He's the founder and director of, of Making, Making Sense. We were talking before the break of his uh, journey into uh, serving particularly uh, uh, an interested human geography and the movements of people and some of the charities he serves, CMS, World Vision UK, Viva, IFES, and uh, uh, some of the, something of his journey into, into now helping 
charities clarify their purpose etc in terms of uh, coming alongside and support um your charity work uh, kind of involved children in mm. the past, uh, Martin, um, which connects, of course, with the other element of your work, which is writing. So yeah. tell me, tell me, how, how did you come to be a writer? <laughs> well, just to go back a little bit, mm. um, I, w- my passion as I've worked with different charities, you're right, has been about engaging mm. with children. And one of the standout moments from my time at World Vision was engaging with parents and children um, of Stagecoach, the the, the theatre performing arts, mm. and we. We put on a big flash mob at Legoland, um, not just to have fun, but actually mm. that was part of a campaign that World Vision at the time had about um, the number of children that were dying um, under the age of five around the world from preventable uh, causes and, and diseases. And my, my passion has always been to, uh, to you know, particularly in the charity sector, to connect supporters with what is going on, not just to ask for money, but actually to engage families with the issues uh, that our world uh, is facing uh, that particular issue was 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 children's health and that continued in in, in my time with Viva, um, but I've also been um, passionate about writing and communicating those mm. issues uh, from an early age, um, writing poetry. My 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 dad always inspired me uh, to write poetry and stories, mm. and and it was probably around um, seven eight years ago that I asked myself the question, what might I be doing um, in my 40s or 50s? Um, and how how might that change uh, as a leader, um, um, as a charity leader and as someone that wants to do a number of things in the future? Uh, and I started thinking about, well, perhaps that I could uh, get more involved um, in, the, in the world of publishing and communicating mm. in a different way mm. some of the lessons that I've learned. Um, and uh, one of my traits is that I don't um, get into something in a, in a small way, I, I jump in. And so over the last six, seven years, I, I've been to the London Book Fair, I've, I've got to know publishers and the agents and um, all the different uh, critiques out there that are that looking at the world of children's publishing in particular, um, and started pushing doors and started writing uh, young adult novels and, and children's picture books uh, and started pitching myself into context that I'd never been into before and started getting some quite favourable feedback. Mm. Um, but the journey to actually becoming now a children's author and being published um, has taken around six or seven years. Uh, and, and as I now am um, going into schools to talk to children, one of the messages is that um, if you have a dream, don't, don't give up um, because you'll get some doors open and then they'll shut. And then you've got to nudge them open again in order to actually achieve that, achieve that dream. So, so I mentioned in the introduction, mm. uh, my God, my dad would do, and my mum is there. Yeah, so those are the, the book. Those are published by. Those are published by Wacky B Books. Wacky B Books. Okay. Yeah, uh, but based in London. Um, as I was um, surrounded by boxes of books, um, having uh, moved house with my family, um, I was really conscious that my children couldn't reach to hang things up or put things away, and so one day I, I just, as I say, splurged a little bit of a poem. Um, if I could reach to hang my coat, I'd put it on my special hook under the stairs above the shoes. But just for now, my dad will do. And that was the start of a poem that was really about um, a child uh, in the books. It's a, it's a little elephant um, not being able to do things, not being able mm. to reach things. And the dad stepping in in order to help the child reach up to be able to hang a coat or, or to mm. do those things. And really it was the theme of, uh, of, of an adult in a child's life helping that child reach their potential. So the heart of that book is all about the ability for a child to reach their potential <clears throat> through an intervention of a parent or a caregiver. 
um, I was then asked by um, a publisher, well, what about the mum's book? <laughs> and uh, we want it to, to, to be similar structure. There's a little yeah. bit of a rhyme through it. And so actually I, I did what I think maybe all um, authors do is um, if they if they have children is to sit down with their children and ask them and mm. get their good material from them. And so I, I sat down with my daughter uh, one evening at bedtime and said, okay, um, what, what, what does mum do? <laughs> and uh, she gave me this really big, long list, yeah. and it became very obvious, uh, and, and, and maybe you could say, say it's a little bit of a stereotype, um, but um, if the dads were there to help lift out potential in a child's life, then uh, for us, mum was very much there and present at different times uh, mm. along the, the, the life of my child, whether you're swimming or walking to school or going to the park or at bedtime or in the middle of the night, mum is there. Uh, and so the, the key theme of the mum's book um, is very much presence. Right. And you've been able to, as, as you kind of hinted, uh, go to schools and mm. read to readings there and other things with children? Very much. So even as I had the dream of getting these books published, I also had the dream of um, what this might mean for an opportunity, a platform to go into mm. schools um, and talk about presence and potential. Mm. Um, so I had the idea of a, of a little musical that went along with the books and I had the idea of getting a puppet, a little elephant puppet. Uh, I think a few people thought I was a little bit crazy at the time, mm. um, but actually it's all it's all happened. We, we have a little elephant puppet. We, we have a musical uh, assembly uh, that I now perform with songs and, and, mm. and, and backing tracks and, and all the images from, from the books in an assembly with primary school. Uh, and we've also developed workshops, craft uh, and creative storytelling workshops for, for the, the lower key stages. Um, and then we also talked about, well, what do we do with the, the older primary school children? Um, how do we uh, share this message with books that they might see as a, a little bit young for them? Mm. And so we looked at the, uh, the world uh, that I've been in in terms of children's charities. And um, part of my work with children in schools is to look at something called Story Mountains and uh, beginning, middle and end of stories. And mm. so what I do with uh, years five and six is to tell them the beginning and middle um, of stories of children around the world, uh, a, a, a Bolivian street child or an orphan from Uganda or a girl that can't go to school in Nepal. And I tell them the beginning and the middle of the story, and then their activity in the school is to right. write a poem mm. or a narrative or a, a comic strip mm. uh, or just a story about the, the, the end. Mm. Uh, how mm. does that story end? And then they have to actually think themselves into that, into that context. Mm. Um, and then I actually share them, um, actually what did happen in the end. And that's a helpful way of them being able to engage um, with what the issues in children. Uh, children's lives around the world um, and many of the children that I'm actually engaging with might not have a mum or a dad mm -hmm. um, and the way that we can engage with those issues sensitively in schools in the UK is by sharing the stories of children from around the world. Mm -hmm. Splendid. Uh, moving sli slightly on to a slightly different topic Martin and, and that is the kind of tools that have have, have helped you and, and maybe continue to help you in, in, in yeah. leadership. Mm. Um, mention anything that you you know, valued in the past. There, there are so many tools out there, and I, anyone listening that's in, in leadership that doesn't feel they have the, the tools is, I, I would often say, is find one that really works mm. for you and then really get to know it rather than having a whole, mm. um, a whole selection of them that you only know a little bit. Um, as I was in transition uh, from CMS to World Vision, I, I very much utilised uh, uh, two tools from Gallup. Uh, one was their well-being tool, mm -hmm. uh, which is a, a really good way of helping you understand actually how are you doing 
personally as a leader mm. um, in terms of your well-being um, right across the board. Uh, but particularly as a leader, um, I've, I've utilised the tools that Gallup has um, in something called Strength Finders uh, that helps you understand your own strengths. Uh, but they took that further in identifying what makes a good leader globally. Mm. Uh, and they actually defined what strengths-based leadership looks like. And one of the reasons why I have appreciated their model is that they don't define what a leader is or what a leader looks like. Mm. They actually define it as a, a good leader is one that is basically leading in their strengths, um, which opens up leadership. Uh, which I much prefer talking about leadership rather than just leaders because often mm. people feel I'm not a leader. Um, but whatever walk of life we're in, uh, whether we have children, whether we're not a position of management, we we're all in positions of leadership in some way. Mm -hmm. And so the Gallup tools of Strength Finder and Strengths Based Leadership help us understand that if we are in these situations of leadership, that if we're leading in our strengths and focusing on building up those strengths, that we can be effective leaders. And is, is that the Marcus Buckingham book, particularly the now building your strengths? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so the, the Strength Based Leadership book is mm. the one that I've okay. particularly looked at because that looks at how you both lead in your mm. strengths and work with teams, um, but there's lots of resources within uh, the Gallup portfolio, Marcus Buckingham, mm. and, and a lot that actually are underpinned by mm. uh, some strong biblical principles um, in how you relate with people and how you value people and how you're mm. inclusive yeah. uh, that I've really appreciated. And I believe there's an, there's an online tools that you can access there, which, there are, yes. for, for a price, and so people at home could easily... For about five dollars, you can mm. um, actually take the test, and then you get given access for the next year um, to yeah. certain other other tools as well. And I've I found them incre incredibly good, helpful. Good, yeah. Um, uh, you you see parents as as leaders. You mentioned that in in mm. in kind of uh, in passing, um, and it's certainly not something we've we've massively featured on in the program. <laughs> could you could you just tease out tease that out a little bit? You're a parent yourself. I, I am, and I, 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 we, we, I think we have um, many issues in our society. There's, there's, there's big issues in leadership and um, big issues with families across the UK at the, uh, this time. Let's not just look at the world. Let's look, look at the UK for a minute. Um, when I was with Viva, we conducted research into um, what is the church's response to the issues of children um, uh, in, in, in the UK. And a big issue that's coming up all the time is lack of aspiration ambition for the future um, and parents have such a key leadership role mm. in shaping our children's lives um, it's not just for the teachers it's not just for the rest of society um, it's fundamentally the role of parents to do that in community uh, and I think often parents are feeling um, that they, they can't cope with that um, mm. they, they don't have the tools themselves let alone these management tools for leaders that are the self-help bookshop mm. you know that you know that the, the, it's just for the leaders to, to do. I think parents are struggling uh, to find the time uh, to even think about, well, what type of leader am I for my child? Uh, what type of role model um, am I? What, how am I setting values and the, the, the examples that I want my children um, to, to, to remember um, when, when they're older? Some of the tools that they can draw on, either at school or at college or later on in life. Um, as I was exploring um, the Gallup model, strengths-based leadership, there were there were four key um, areas um, that they say that a leader needs to build um, for uh, for followers. For, and, and I think this works not just for a, a management team in a charity or in business. I think this works at home as well. The, the leader must uh, build trust, 
show compassion, um, provide security and create hope. Uh, and I think we can obviously see that the provision of, of security, maybe a, a home is really key, but how do we create the context of security, emotional well-being mm. within our children so that they actually feel they can flourish and, and, and grow? Are we building trust with our children so that they will share things with us when they're going through difficult times? Are we the first point of contact or, or are they uncertain mm. about whether they can trust uh, to share those things? Um, are we walking alongside showing compassion and uh, and demonstrating love for them when the, when they're going through difficult times as well mm. as the good times? And, and uh, probably the massive issue is, are we creating hope uh, when there's so much turmoil going on in, in our own country, um, politically and economically and around the world? Are we giving aspiration to our children? Are we creating contexts of hope so that they actually have a vision for the future that they, they want to be a part of and that they actually have a vision that they can shape our society for good? Um, so I think those Gallup tools, which have been seen as key management tools and leadership tools, I think could be really uh, used to good advantage in the, in the situation that parents are, are facing today. Uh, Martin, sadly, time has <laughs> time has defeated us. There's more, much more. <laughs> That's that, always the case. Much more than we could have talked about. But um, but thank you so much for your enthusiasm and 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 heart for for seeing you know, charities and and families mm. uh, come alive. And it's been exciting to to. to catch up with you you're welcome um, thanks for having me on the, the, the website is making sense making sense dot life dot life so if you uh, uh if you want to get in touch with martin or find out more about what he's doing that's Happy the place to that's the Thank place you. to go yeah. and uh and the books again uh my dad will do and my mum is there published by wacky b books wacky b books okay do uh, log on to premier's website and you can find archive versions of the leadership fund including this one in due course i look forward to your company again next sunday at 3 30 Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk.